Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this today? Before we get started, I have three announcements that I have to make. The first one is uh, Miss Faye Wheatley is pretty awesome. I, I won't say any more because she didn't pay enough for me to say any more than that. <laughs> Second announcement, our very own Mr. Logan Howard got his license on Friday. Yes, congratulations. And just, this is a congratulations, and also they live over the, across at Bristol Lake, so be careful. <laughs> I love you. And uh, lastly, this one's not really much of an announcement, but uh, Dylan and Caitlin had their baby this morning, Miss Naomi Joy. I'm very touched that she's going to be, this is going to be the first message that she hears is mine. Yeah. She's going to get so used to a 30-minute message that she's going to be like, wow, I can't believe it. For those who don't know, my name is Jacob Dolezal. I run the kids' ministry, and I'm one of the deacons here at Pierce Point. And so we've been going over this series of what is the gospel. Uh, and so for a reminder, this whole thing started because on a Thursday night, we did uh, a survey with our youth kids just to see where they were at spiritually and so that we could know how to proceed with them. And it came back with results that we could spend some time on the gospel, which led to us spending four weeks, five weeks, six weeks up front here talking about the gospel. And then on Thursdays, we've also been talking about it. So several weeks back, Barney preached a message about what the gospel was not. Two weeks ago, Nathan talked about the benefits of the gospel. And last week, Dylan taught about what the response to the gospel. This morning, we're going to talk about the instrument of the gospel. Now, when we think of the word instrument, what do we think of? Yes, these musical instruments up here. I do. Uh, but the definition of an instrument is a tool or implement, especially one for delicate work. Interesting. I like scientific. Obviously, when we think of the word like instrument of the gospel, the first thing that we think of is Jesus. And yes, ultimately, he is the instrument by which the good news is displayed. But we also get to serve as minor instruments as well. We're going to go back to that later. Before we get too deep into the practical side, let's first look at something very important. Ultimately, the instrument of the gospel is God himself. See, we wouldn't even be having this discussion without the gracious nature of our God because of sin and our blatant rebellion against him, God should have just smited us and hit the reset button. At least that's what I would have done. But thankfully, I am not God. And this just shows. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, it just shows how different our nature is from God's. Let's first look at Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us, the beloved. All along, God knew that we would slip up and succumb to sin. 
Yet, in his gracious nature, he provided a way for us to be sanctified, to be redeemed, to be a part of a family, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Now, that's some good news, isn't it? So, how does God use, what, God, what avenue does God use to give us this opportunity? He sends his son to pay the cost for our sins. He sends a Messiah. And all this time, after the fall, before Jesus' birth, he's talking, telling prophets, hey, guys, I haven't given up on you. So I'm going to read to you Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He is no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor the appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he bore himself, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear our iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and, his, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore himself the sin of many, and interceded for the transgressors. That's us. We're the transgressors. God was the only one who would able to be able to satisfy the wrath of God and pay this cost for sin. So he sets this whole plan in motion. He, Jesus was always going to be that suffering servant to pay that cost. This just gives us a greater view at the character of this God that we serve. Some people like to use phrases like the God of the Old Testament or the God of the New Testament as if they're two different beings. But I'm pretty sure if the plan for our salvation was laid before the foundation of the earth, that's Old Testament. We serve a very merciful God. So how about Jesus? Where does Jesus fit in this? Well, he's crucial to this whole plan being the actual servant that's going to suffer on our behalf. Jesus is the actual instrument of our salvation, meaning it's through him that salvation actually happens. You know this. I know this. I know that you know this. 
but thank you. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> but it's important to talk about if we're going to be talking about the instrument of the gospel. Without Jesus actually going and paying the cost, we wouldn't be here. If God isn't gracious and Jesus doesn't die, then what good news do we really have? A bunch of stuff that pales in comparison to the good news of God. Earlier we talked about how God had told these prophets about the Messiah. You know, Jesus came and did every single one of those things that he told the prophets he would do to make it clear that he was who he claimed to be. And like many things, Jesus sets an example for us, an example of how to be one of those minor instruments that I talked about earlier. Last week, Dylan ended by talking about the woman at the well. We were talking about her response to Jesus' call, but I want to actually look at how he begins the conversation. Let's look at John 4, 7 through 14. There came a wom woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you go to get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give shall, th shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him, he will, will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus starts out by talking about water. I mean, that's why they're there to begin with, right? He doesn't just jump into, hey, nice to meet you. Let me tell you about me. <laughs> A couple weeks ago, we had the elders come to our youth group on Thursday night. Uh, come and answer questions, hang out. Um, anything that the kids might want to know about gospel-wise or in general. And one of the questions that was asked is, how do they tell their friends about the gospel at school? And Nathan responded by asking all the kids to tell him what was good news to them. So we went around the room and they started saying things like spending time with friends and family, good grades. And then they'd ask them, well, how would you tell your friends about that good news? And they said, well, we just tell them. We'd start talking. That's the point, is to have start be able to just have a conversation. So Jesus goes. He starts talking about water. Let's see what happens next. Verses 15 through 26. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. She's hooked. She's like, I don't want to be thirsty, and I don't want to have to drag this jug here anymore. And he said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, 
For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are with now is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem Will you worship the Father? You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks out to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When, he, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So Jesus, he started talking about water. Then he tells her something that really no stranger should know about her life. And this gives him the ultimate segue to begin to share with her the truth of what, who he is. I mean, she even says, well, I know the Messiah is coming. And he's like, yeah. It's me, which is something that really only the Son of God can say. (laughs) From here in the story, as we talked about, as Dylan talked about last week, she leaves her jug, and she goes, and she just goes to tell everyone she sees and knows about Jesus and her interaction with him. Next, I want to talk about another instrument that we can use as an example, and that would be Paul. In Acts 9.15, God says, Paul, he is, our, he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. Paul was such a unique person for an incredible task. He was a Pharisee, so a Jew, and also a citizen of Rome. He could fit into both cultures beautifully and be able to connect with all these different people. We look at different times when Paul is sharing the gospel, and we see that he just doesn't use the same script over and over again of pre-rehearsed lines. He recognizes what is important to those individuals and then uses that as an avenue to share with them. We're going to look at one example of that, and that's Acts 17, excuse me, 22 through 31. All right. We're going to act like that didn't happen. We're going to cut that from the, the video. So, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with, to this, with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore, what you worship in ignorance, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in the temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and exist, 
as even some of your poets have said, for we are also his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that, is, that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day that he will judge the world in righteousness through a man who he has appointed, having furnished proof of all men by raising him from the dead. Paul takes this unknown God altar and turns it into a beautiful gospel presentation. See, the Greek people would have been familiar with this idol. I mean, it's theirs. They're the one who put it up. Then he, appe then he appears to contrast this nature of the one true God with their Greeks, gods, and goddesses. In verse 25, he says, Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. In Greek mythology, gods and goddesses had power and their life force was dependent on how many people worshipped the thing that they were the god of. They would have understand this back in ancient times. If I came up here and made this plea to you guys, you'd be like, what? We're all 21st century Americans. But to ancient Greeks, they would have understood what Paul was saying. He even quotes their own poets to them. To them. Paul was a master of being all things to all people. So now as we transition, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. And as I, I was, I forgot this verse as I was like trying, I couldn't remember where it was. So I was Googling, and so I typed in, follow me as I follow Christ. And there was a meme that popped up. And I was like, oh, we have to share this. So Paula, if you'll throw that up there. definitely uh, how we feel a lot of times, uh, putting a bag on our head, <laughs> trying to be Spider-Man. <laughs> All right, you can take it down now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. So before we talk about sharing the gospel, I want, to, I want you each to consider how you came to know Jesus. I want you... All the time, a lot of times our testimonies are some of the biggest movements that God has in our lives. But as we know from just being alive, none of these two stories, no two stories are the same. I'm sure there are different elements of it that are similar between our stories, but none are the same. We've been sharing in our devotion series that you know, James shared a couple weeks ago that he received the gospel when he was a child. For Dylan, that was four years ago. For me, it was like 12 years ago, back when I was in high school. Because we all receive the gospel differently, does it really make sense that we use the same script when we go to share it with others? Everyone foregrounds something differently. Nathan was talking about this originally when we started, that everybody's foregrounding something different. So we have to listen before we can really begin to share. See, our goal as minor instruments is to point back to the true instrument of the gospel, Jesus. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, Sanctify 
Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. We need to be ready when someone notices a difference in us from the rest of the world to be able to tell them why. Last week, Dylan touched on the Great Commission. Let's talk a little bit more about that. We're commanded by Jesus to go and make disciples. To do that, we have to be able to tell others about the gospel. So remember earlier, we looked at the definition of an instrument. It's a tool. Well, a tool, there needs to be somebody to use it for it to be effective. Like, if I picked up Adam's guitar, it would be very ineffective for me to use it because I cannot play at all. But if Adam came up here, eventually he will to play it for you. It's something that makes beautiful music. Well, God is the one using this tool, this instrument of the gospel. Yes, that very gracious God that we talked about earlier he allows us to be a part of his plan for the salvation of humanity. We just have to be willing to be used by him. So how many of you, when you were children, were perfect, perfect children? Please raise your hand if you were. <laughs> I'm not surprised at how few there are. I guess I should be more surprised at how many people actually raise their hand. <laughs> So when you were a child, you wanted to please your parent, right? For the, mo for the most part, at least, right? Right? Why? Why did you want to please them? Why did you want to do what they said? Yes. Well, I mean, you knew the answer, so I... Uh, <laughs> we love them. You love your parents, so we obey because we love the person. We love our parents. We obey them. Now, doesn't that also apply with our Heavenly Father? He's asked us to, do, to go and share. We love him because of what he done, did for us. So when, shouldn't we be willing to do that? How many of you were here last week and listened to Adam's devotion? Not as many hands as I'd like to see. But that's okay because we have them all recorded on YouTube, so go back and do that. And you really should. This has been my absolute favorite round of devotions that we've done because we've gone through and everybody has shared how they came to know the gospel. And listening, sitting back and listening to someone else talk about their life and talk about how God moved in them is something so beautiful and you get to really know them. So, like I said, they're on YouTube, so go back and watch them. All that to say, I'm going to spoil some of Adam's to make a point that I wanted to do. When Adam was 17, he lost his brother, and he walked away from church and from God. Now, our old church used to do this yearly gift wrapping at Eastgate Mall. And at the time, that Adam worked there as a manager. Now I'm going to read Adam's words. One evening, the pastor of the church at the time came for his shift to wrap presents. Instead of wrapping presents, he came into the store to talk to me and see how I was doing, tell me that he missed me, 
and that he is sorry for my brother, for the loss of my brother. He didn't even ask me or tell me to ask anything of me or tell me to come back to church that night. He just loved on me and showed me what being Jesus looked like in that moment. Sharing the gospel doesn't always, what you th- doesn't always look like what you think about in your head. Sometimes you just need to go and love someone like Jesus would. We get this idea that if we don't hit all these certain points when we're presenting the gospel to someone that we failed, that's just not true. I know that you guys can share the good news with others. See, Paul and Jesus, they show us these great examples of using things that people are that the people they are talking to are already familiar with to then point them to the bigger truth of the good news. Jesus talking about water with the woman at the well. Paul talking about this unknown God altar in the very place that all the other idols were. What does that look like for us? Well, if we're going to go share the gospel with someone, we should probably take a moment to analyze the person and ask ourselves, what does this person value? And how can I take that and point it back to Jesus? To even answer either one of those questions, you've got to have a relationship with them. Otherwise, the answers won't be true. You won't be effective. So you take this information. And for example, if someone is struggling with loneliness, you can talk about the community or family that you get to join when you accept Christ. Or for someone who struggles with depression, anxiety, you can talk about the peace of God that can be found in God. And for someone that struggles with that, that is, there's no value that I cannot place in finding peace in God. Knowing the person that we're trying to share with is so crucial and leads to this beautiful truth. Guys, sometimes your voice is going to be able to touch someone that mine cannot, that Nathan's can't, that Barney can't. And likewise, sometimes my voice will be able to impact somebody that yours can't. God wants to use all of us. He wants us to be his instruments. He wants us to be the unique voice to people all around the world. But we're all singing the same song, the story of the gospel. I want to encourage you guys today as we close. So Adam, if you want to go ahead and come up and Dylan, go, or Dylan. Ethan, go get my people from the back. Um, Look, I love you guys. You guys are great, but those are my friends back there. I've lost myself. You can share the gospel with the people in your life. You can share the good news. I believe in you. I don't want you to become discouraged if you are presenting the gospel to someone and you don't see immediate results. I was raised in a Christian home my entire life. My parents have always chased after God, and yet it took me 16 years before I finally decided to accept that truth myself. It wasn't until I was in high school that God became real for me. Sure, I had heard it. Sure, I recognized, like, oh, I'm a rule follower, so I'm going to do right. But it wasn't until high school for me. Hey, guys. They're really my people. I know that only one of them acknowledged me, but don't let that discourage me. 
don't be afraid to plant a seed of the gospel in someone's life because you never know what God can do with that later. Lastly, an oldie but a goodie. What an awful phrase. I wrote that down and I hated myself every moment of it. <laughs> Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.3 that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. I'm pretty sure that including we've been given everything we need for sharing the gospel goes along with that. I really do believe in you guys. I really do. Uh, when Dylan and I were up here about a month ago, I said that we love you all so much, and we want nothing more than to see you succeed. So if you need help, just ask. Because all of us, all the leadership team, we're all here 